Shut up and sit down. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. Sound play. 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 A radio show that features audio work produced by students at Salem State University. We're your hosts. I'm Tanya Rodriguez, a professor in English here at SSU. And I'm Kema, an English student with an affinity for French tea and poetry. So we'll start and end the episode today with 90-second episodes from a faux podcast I made up for an assignment in my audio storytelling class. I called the podcast Salem According to Sound which is a direct ripoff from the real podcast, The World According to Sound. The World According to Sound is a really interesting show in that it disrupts everything we think we know about what constitutes good storytelling. The two hosts, Chris Hoff and Sam Harnett, created the show on the premise that they didn't want to tell listeners a story and how and what to think. Rather, they wanted to create opportunities for listeners to engage with sound and construct their own experience and interpretation of how that sound functions in the world. This show moves language and narration off center stage and replaces it with long, unnarrated stretches of sound. So my students created episodes that are similar in form to ones heard on the world according to sound, yet they all in some way connect to Salem. We're going to start the show off today with a Salem According to Sound episode by Nicole Kotsevillas. This is the sound of a train passing over the tracks and through the Salem Depot train station. The sound of trains passing by can be disruptive in everyday life, but with the right mixing and filtering, some people view the sound of ambient train noise as a form of white noise. Sound artist Brad McBride takes those sounds and compiles them into long-form audio tracks that are used to help people relax and even fall asleep at night. Brad uses a combination of different train sounds, which when layered the right way, can block out other noises surrounding you and actually help you to sleep better. next segment of Salem According to Sound is by Colin Blacksmith. Hello. Hello. This is the sound of students of Salem State commuting to class. This is a project created by Colin Blacksmith 
turning students' drives and motivations Hello. for class, Hello. along with minimal social interactions, into sound. What you hear is fast-paced walking over rustling leaves with the attention of getting somewhere, followed by people's musics playing in the headphones, keeping them concentrated and focused on the task up ahead. There is a need to acknowledge everyone or every friend you see pass by, but without stunting or slowing down yourself getting to class on time. A quick hello or fist bump is all that's needed. A sense of ambience is created when one or both looks up from phone to catch the other looking at them already. You're listening to Soundplay on 91.7 WMWM Salem, and we'll be back after this message. Salem State University Radio. They must pay us millions to stop broadcasting. WMWM Salem, 91.7 FM and WMWMonline.com. I didn't want to talk. She just sat with me. That was all I really needed. We got back. One day he called me out of the blue. And it's comforting to know that I always can count on him to have my back. She called me from time to time. I really didn't think I needed any help. It took me from being really depressed to feeling like somebody cared to give me some hope. Just that one text. Be there. Your call. Your presence. Your words. Your support. Be there and help save a life. Learn more about preventing suicide at VeteransCrisisLine.net. Hey, this is Dan Finnerty from the Dan Band. You're listening to WMWM 91.7 in Salem. Coffee Time has been a family-owned and operated bakery since 1978. They offer scratch-made pies and scones, and now through Thanksgiving, apple cider donuts and pumpkin cheesecake. Grab a fresh cup of coffee or real hot chocolate milk to go with your favorite treat. Coffee Time, setting the standard for homemade baked goods right here in Salem. Coffee Time, 96 Bridge Street, Route 1A in Salem. Hey, this is Dan Finnerty. Up next is Jeff Gately's documentary entitled Somehow Even More Alone. I just want our listeners to know that this documentary is about suicide, so if that could trigger anything for you, please tune out for the next 23 minutes. Jeff wrote an introduction to his documentary that I'll read now. He writes, This piece exists as a document of the things that can break us. There's no coming back from some things. If we can't come back, then we can go on. What will we remember when we do? Who will we be when we do? This is a story of the hardest days of a relationship. It's not my story, but hers. This is a document of what she went through. So here is Somehow Even More Alone by Jeff Gately. It was something that was mounting since I, for as long as I knew you. So we were together four years when it kind of came to a head. And I think, you know, obviously the hardest part was 
kind of the day I realized what had actually been going on. I came home from work and you were on the couch crying. You told me about all the things that you had been lying to me about. I floated out of my body for a minute. I knew that there was something that I like couldn't figure out. It was the most painful thing to like experience like this person who you've been with is like not the person you thought they were. I just didn't understand how to sit with the information that I had. You told me that because if you didn't tell me you were going to have to kill yourself. told me what happened and um I was kind of like it was very shocking like so surprising you know what I mean um so it was definitely like a weird sense of like accepting the reality of it and I think that she definitely hadn't done that either you know because I had known you for so long um but never thought this was a part of you I'm not sure of the time frame but I remember prior to that, I was very uneasy about you. Not sure why, but I just ha I was just very uneasy about you in general. It actually kind of reminded me of back when you left high school, that period of time, same feelings. It had been a couple years of like me having like committed to the relationship, and then it was like it felt like everything had shifted and was, I don't know, like I couldn't put, place my feet anywhere. Like it felt like a solid piece of something that like existed in my stomach and in my throat. And I like couldn't swallow it or digest it. I think I had texted my boss and told her that I wouldn't be into work and that I couldn't tell her why and that I was sorry and um, that I needed to like, I needed a couple days. And um, then I think it was the next night, Tim had me over for dinner. I just felt sad for her because I couldn't, I was like, I was, couldn't imagine feeling that hurt. And it also like made me feel like, oh, whoa, like she really loves this guy because she's feeling all of this. Yeah, a lot of those days are kind of a blur. Like, I don't remember what specifically happened on which day. I don't think I've ever felt so alone. And I felt like I really needed to tell like a core group of people so that I didn't like fall into like a really isolated depression. I I assumed at that point that our relationship 
was over and I, but I couldn't figure out how to make life work. day when you feel stupid or selfish and you knew that. I was like, Jesus Christ, like I can't imagine being in this situation. I would just want to die. I was like really anxious to come back. Like I wanted to come back, but I was really scared to come back. I didn't know what I was coming back to. Our life felt empty. was like this veil had been lifted um and I believed like your pain and I believed your regret and I believed that you loved me and I think that hadn't felt clear before that so it was weird like I felt like I should be like just hating you, but it was like something had clicked. Like, oh, this is what's been going on. I think I had like a new sense of purpose for like kind of knowing what was wrong and like seeing that like okay now we can now I know where to put my energy as far as making a relationship better when things got hard again and it was a Saturday uh, early in the day and I remember we had a fight and I think you were struggling. I remember that you had started hitting yourself in the side of the head, which I had seen that before, um, but this time it was like worse and it wasn't stopping. And it got to the point where I needed to basically wrestle you to the ground. I remember needing to interlock my hand, like my fingers between your fingers, um, and like kind of like hold your hands down and hold you down. I don't know, we talked a little bit and I kind of thought you were coming down. You were sitting in the chair and I was sitting on the floor and my, I had my like chin on your knees because I felt like you were gonna leave or I felt like I needed to hold on to you or like protect you from yourself. Um, you told me that you were okay. You got up and you like ran out the door. Like you just, you just ran away. And your car was gone. I didn't know what you were going to do. Well, I think I called you probably a hundred times and texted you, but your phone was off or you weren't picking up. And I think Aaron called you and you did answer. I called your mom. I asked if you had taken the car. 
She said, yes. I said, any idea where you, where you would go? I can almost still hear her voice, how upset she was. So I went over. I think I just started texting you. Like, I felt like, and I just, like, I, I became like a cheerleader for you at that point. Like, I needed you to know that life is hard and that it will get better and that you're capable. There was literally nothing else I could do, so I just decided I would send a constant stream of texts with hopes that if you were going to do something to hurt yourself or to hurt me or to mess up your life, that you might pause and see a text message and it would stick because you wouldn't answer my calls. Um, yeah, and I don't remember what I said, but I just remember sitting in the chair that you had just been in and like sobbing and just like typing into my phone as fast as I could. Like with any kind of like emergency situation, you walk into the middle of something and you're really not sure what to do first because I wanted to comfort her, but my God, I was so frightened for you. She was there, you weren't. So I tried to comfort her, tried to get her to calm down so I could find out what happened. She was very like cool and collected, which probably did help me. I think I think sometimes I resent that a little bit because I don't want people like I want people to acknowledge like what's really going on, but in in those moments like it probably did help that she didn't, you know, think that you were dead <laughs> because I was thinking that you could be the realization that, like, you could be gone. I still don't know if I've processed that. Or, like, if I even know how to, like, really understand it. A year and a couple months before, like, I had lost a friend to suicide. And I, I think about her a lot. Um thinking about this and thinking like if you had killed yourself like I don't know I, I don't know how to understand how that would have felt over that week we had decided to like really commit to like doing hard work um, therapy-wise and finding you a psychiatrist and finding you a new therapist because your old one was not working and it takes time to figure that stuff out and I remember feeling like no like we're we're so close like I don't like the idea of this feeling like out of control um and it felt like, like our control was being removed. Like, and I felt like my control was being removed even more than it already had. Like, I was like, just barely holding on to having any kind of stability and any kind of like, 
yeah, like I was trying to make my own stability. And, um, and it was like that was being ripped from me. Because we knew enough to know that if we went to the emergency room, you were going to get taken away. The very bubbly intake nurse. She had like a really thick southern accent, I remember. She did try to like help us to understand like if you are doing this, I will I will need to um, give you a section 12. Is that what it was? Section 12? They took all like your vitals and everything because I think they need to ma needed to make sure you weren't taking any drugs or anything. But you hadn't. Then we had to go to a tiny room. There was like a weird TV behind glass. Dimmer fluorescent lights. Beige and gray. Like dirty white walls. And we sat there. Like my brain couldn't even handle what was going on. Felt like I needed to be next to you I just like held your hand and I feel like people tried to get me to like sit in a chair and I didn't want to sit in the chair I sat on the bed next to you on like very uncomfortable like horrible bed you were convinced that you needed to be taken away in order to get better I didn't agree but I was stuck in this thing and you know it wasn't fair to me to like be the keeper of all of it. And I think that was kind of the general consensus was that like, oh, well, he'll go and, and you won't have to like be the one to protect him anymore. <laughs> I think we were in that terrible little room with people like coming in now and then, maybe five hours. I had so much anxiety, I have, I mean, I have my own, like, attachment issues, and, um, I don't like being alone, and I knew that I was about to feel, like, somehow even more alone than I felt when, when this all first rose to the surface, because then I would be stuck in it, and, and not even able to call you, like, not even able to text you, that was, a, like, a nightmare for me, and I knew that's what was coming. You had to go in an ambulance, which I still don't fucking understand. You were voluntarily there. You weren't trying to get out of the hospital room. You weren't resisting anyone, but they needed you to go in an ambulance for some reason. Like, I, I could not understand why you couldn't just ride with your mom and I. You had to not only get on the stretcher and be wheeled out of the hospital, you had to be strapped in as if you are, you know, like, violent or erratic. The, like, EMTs, I guess? I don't know. Like, or whoever they were. Just like, this is, this is what you have to do. <laughs> so helpful. <laughs> the explanation is so helpful. I just cried and I kept asking why is this the way that it has to be
Like, I felt like I walked into, like, a scene of a movie from the 80s. Like, it was so old and, like, yellowed. I feel like there were, like, pinches of cookies and, like, juice. And I remember the guy who was working, like, the front desk. There's, I think there was an episode of, like, SVU on or something that was, like, about something very like similar <laughs> to what was going on <laughs> what is happening and then there was more waiting and you were still like kind of falling asleep which was making me feel crazy because I was like no like <laughs> I don't know like I knew that I was about to be so alone but I kept like holding your hand and like hugging you and I don't know if I was doing it for you or for me it was the it was the pit in my stomach just that lump in the core of me and then eventually I had to say goodbye to you they had taken your shoes and your belt and your bag like if I was laying in bed at night thinking wow this day was crazy and there were these phones there and you could call me on the phones and I could call the phones and they were like these weird random numbers that you gave me and I remember being like obsessed with like where I wrote those down like I need to keep these numbers but then you couldn't even have calls like after like 10 p.m. or something how am I gonna sit with this I don't remember if I ate I don't remember feeling hungry I know I had to like feed Jean and that felt hard and still reeling from everything you had told me before and from just being like a human in the world like who needed to get through that night get through the next day and then go to work on Monday. Nobody knew what was going on. Oh, this is, this was not the right thing. No one there was particularly like friendly. It felt like walking into like a bar in a small town <laughs> where everybody knows each other. You go in and like everyone thinks you're weird. Like I wasn't doing it right. And in my mind, I was like, doesn't everybody have a panic attack when they come here? <laughs> like how do they not? And you were cold and distant. And like, have I just been spending my time with this like cold, miserable, stranger who doesn't care about me at all like is that what I've been doing for the last five years I'm alone and my partner is dead in those moments as the week went on it started to get a little better because I knew that um, you would be home eventually but when I would have like a call from like a number I didn't recognize like run from my desk and answer the phone they hated so much that I couldn't text you
I think I, I couldn't conceive of like how hard it was going to be from there, and it did. It, it got hard. It, it's still hard. Um, there's still like ups and downs, but we've definitely leveled out a lot. But at that point, I was just like, okay, I'm not alone anymore, at least. You were out of work. I might have to like do this. But that was really scary. So not only was I like holding all of this like emotional traumatic stuff that was like in my head from everything, I had to kind of tuck it away and figure out the best way to like be a support to you so that you could heal and recover um, while also dealing with the practical stuff just starting to kind of sort through like my feelings about everything which is really scary and I still have a lot of work to do on that um I don't know how to talk to other people about what happened um I mean there's even a lot we're not sharing it's been a lot to hold because when you can't communicate fully with people about it it's hard to figure out how you feel about it yourself this next episode of Salem According to Sound is by Caitlin Donahue This is the sound of somebody swimming. This is the sound of a swimmer at their fifth hour of practice that day. This is the sound of a swimmer on their 1500th yard. This is the sound of someone doing something they love for as much as they can every single day. And this is the sound of a swimmer who made the Olympic trials this year. This is all she hears day in and day out, and she loves it. I'm Caitlin Donahue, and this has been Salem According to Sound. Thanks for listening to Soundplay. Tune in at the same time in two weeks for more fun experimentation with story and sound.